0: his commandments for this is everyone's duty. It appears that the teacher abandoned any hope in worldly pursuits and finally decided that glorifying God provides the only lasting meaning to life. And I'm glad they wrote that because that that kind of sums it up and it makes me feel a little bit better about Solomon and some of the things that he that he writes earlier on. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this guy if you're new to this or you're unfamiliar with him. He was one of the kings of Israel. And he inherited that office, that position. His dad was King David. You remember David? Um, he was like everything. You know, he could he could do it all. He grew up. Um, he had this real, very low position uh, in his culture. It's like very entry level job. Uh, he was the last guy in his family, often overlooked. Nobody took him real seriously. Uh, tradition says he was not a real big guy, which I think most smaller guys are more godly than bigger guys. Um, he was, you know, just a fascinating character. And one of the things I think about, how would it be to be David's son? Oh, you're David's son. You know those people who maybe your brother is more famous than you, or your mom was really something, you know, she was like this, and so you're always identified by that other part. Oh, you're... And it's like, no, I'm just me. No, 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 you're David's son. And David was one of those guys that just seemed to have everything. He went from being a shepherd to being a hero in the nation, all the way up to the highest office in the land, and probably, at least in my opinion, Maybe the greatest king Israel ever knew. I mean, he just lived through all these events. Uh, He saw God in such a unique way and experienced him and brought this uh, unbelievable awareness of of God's uh, presence and moving, you know, to the the nation of Israel. The guy was a living legend. And then along comes Solomon. Solomon. Oh, you're David's son. Oh, yeah. How's your dad? You know, it was just like that. Everybody knew about him. And the thing about David was he was a warrior. He was a man's man. Send him into battle with a sword. Oh, you don't want any of that. I mean, he he could be just fierce. He was like the William Wallace of this time. I mean, he was just brutal. He was Rambo. He was all of that. He could be terrifying. But then he was also an artist. A musician. He played his instrument like Cayman plays guitar. I mean, he could just do it. And people say, isn't that the guy who's a warrior? Yeah. Oh, you know what else? He's a statesman. He's really good at politics. And, and, and he can just pull people together. He can make things happen. He's just such a great leader. He's got that going on. He's just a pretty smart guy. He's very passionate. Uh, in life, he, he loves the Lord in a, in a way that few people ever did. And he writes these beautiful things, uh, but yet he's got this other side. He, he's just, he was a great athlete. You know, he could kill a bear. He could, kill, I mean, he could just do everything. And you're born into that family. <laughs> you know, that's your dad. I had a roommate in college who was just, he was like that. He was just good at everything. And I was just trying to be good at something. You know, and I was an art minor, and he was a major, and we did our shows the same year. And I can remember talking to the, uh, to the head of the department in the art department there uh, about this guy, and he said, "You know, Dan, you know what his trouble's going to be? You know what his problem is?" He said, "He's going to have to figure out in which area of art does he want to excel." And he played guitar and he could sing. He could throw pots. He could do watercolor. He could do pen and ink. He could paint. He could, he could just sculpt. He could do it all. And I thought, wow, what a problem to have. Uh, what do I want to be really, really good at? Uh, well, I mean, he could just pick. And some of you are like that. You have so many gifts, so many skills. And you just think, I could be anything I really want to be in life. And then comes Solomon. You know, David had earned, uh, so to speak, under the grace of God, everything. People respected him. People admired him. Folks looked up to him and they said, you know, David, here goes David. Wow, he was a shepherd boy. I mean, he was zero and look at him now. What a guy. Have you ever seen him in battle? Oh, yeah. I fought next to him. Oh, you ever heard one of his songs? Oh, man. That was be- I just cried when he sang. I mean, he's just, he just, every, everything. He's one of those people. Solomon hadn't earned anything. He was born into it. He, he just was, there. oh, you're the king, so you're going to be king. What have you done? What, 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 what have you got? He just inherited it all. Check this out. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, we'll give you a glimpse into uh, this man's life. The Bible says... That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Wouldn't you love God to ask you for that? What do you want? And most of us would be real self-indulgent about that. We would ask for, I mean, if you were honest, you would want to be powerful or wealthy, maybe would be the first thing for everybody. We think that's kind of the deal that that makes life worth living. Uh, maybe you'd like to be famous, you want to be a celebrity, you want to be on magazine covers and, and that sort of deal. What I have figured out is that most Christians, because we've read this, we would ask for wisdom. Oh, Lord, no, none of that for me. Just give me wisdom. I just want to work in my company and be a good employee. Just give me wisdom. Because we're thinking... Okay, what happened to Solomon might happen to us? You know, he asked for the right thing, and God said, I really like your answer. You know what? I'm going to give you that, and I'm also going to give you all this other stuff too because I just really like the way you came back with that and you responded. So that's what we would say too. Uh, And then we'd be disappointed if we didn't get all the other stuff because that would be the motivation behind it. Look at Solomon's answer when God asked him this. The Bible says, Solomon replied, You showed faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Solomon had a good answer. He said, now, Lord, my God, you've made me king instead of my father, David. He's going into retirement, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people. A nation so great, so numerous, they cannot be counted. So give me an understanding heart that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Wow, what an answer. And it seems to be thoughtful. I don't think he was showing off or thinking what would sound really cool and what would get God's attention. Yeah, that would, God would like that answer. I think he really meant this. And I think he comes into it saying, listen, I realize that I was handed all this. I know I haven't really done anything to get to be king. I've just showed up. And because David's my dad, um, that's where it is. But God, I, I want to be more than that. I, just don't, I don't want to be that guy you know, who just walks into the position or, or whatever and gets that. He said, I don't want to mess this up. You've done too much with our nation. You have brought us back. You've overcome our enemies. You've blessed my father. I could continue that legacy or I could blow it. You've seen how many times a, a parent or a grandparent... Would do something really amazing in life, and maybe they achieve a lot, maybe they uh, create a fortune or whatever, and then children come along and don't appreciate that and think, oh, I just received that, oh, my inheritance, and they just spend it or they squander uh, an opportunity that God has given them. Not always, but sometimes. I think Solomon was aware of that. He thought, you know what? I don't want to do that. I, I want to get this right. I want to get this right. So God was so moved by that kind of humility, and the fact that Solomon was not just about Solomon, but he was focused on other people. He said, you know what, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you something that you haven't earned, and that's wisdom. And you stop to think about that. It's kind of crazy because how else can you get that? You know, have you ever met any really wise six-year-olds? Probably not, you know, yes, Father, you know, I was thinking, Dad, about your job and our investments. And, you know, you you don't see that. In fact, sometimes, you know, I've thought about the fact, what if I could give you a choice? You can go back and be real young again, but you have to start all over in wisdom. I've actually asked several people that, and they go, yeah, boy, it's really tempting because my back hurts and I can't see so good and all that. But you say i got to give up? No, I'm not going to go back. If I could go back and know what I know now, I'm in. I'll do it. But if i got to give up knowing what I know, nah, I think I'll just stay here. You know, that's wisdom. And once you have it, you don't, you don't want to let go of that because you, you find out as you go along that it's precious. But there's no other way to get it except to go along. You know? And you think, why is that? Why couldn't have God reversed that? And made babies really intelligent so that by the time you get to be, you know, seriously like 15, 16 years old and you know everything. Hey, let's do, no, that's not the wise thing. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. And I think of all the times I've gotten hurt and all the, oh my goodness, all the things I've done when I just wasn't wise enough to know. And now I can't do those things because it really hurt. Immediately and for weeks and weeks later. So, you know, that, that, that kind of maybe God knows what he's doing, matching up wisdom uh, with age. But that's what he asked for. And that's what God said I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give this to you. So he's wise. The thing about this was when God gave Solomon this wisdom, he said, I'm giving you something you haven't earned, so you don't have the experience to match the wisdom. You haven't been through all the things necessary uh, that most people go through to, to have that. So you've got this, but you've still got, you still have choices to make. Knowing the wise thing and doing the wise thing are two different things, right? Come on. Haven't there been times in your life when you thought, I know the wise thing is to not, not do this. But you look around and for whatever reason, your friends are watching you or you're feeling pressure and you think, I know this is not smart. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I'm such an idiot. And then you do it. You know, what God is saying to Solomon is, I'm going to give you wisdom, but the next step, you've got to figure this out. You've got to not just know the right thing, do the next right thing. And what I'm discovering in my life is that's usually not such a big mystery. Sometimes, you know, we think, oh, if I just knew what to do, I don't know what to do. A lot of days, I know what to do. I know what to do. It's doing it. It's doing it. If you just acted on the wisdom you already have, if you just went out and did the next right thing that you think is the next right thing, you're probably going to end up in pretty good shape. It's the knowing and the doing that Solomon had to experience. Now, there's this... uh, the central narrative here in First Kings that kind of show how his wisdom was taken just from this philosophical, you know, you know, kind of kind of place in his mind and his heart, uh, and how it was applied to daily living. This is what it looked like, and there's an example of it uh, in in First Kings in the sixteenth verse. Uh, check this out. Let's read this story. Sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my Lord, one of them began, this woman and I live in the same house. Now, why? I I don't know. Okay. Uh, A lot of background to this story. You think, okay, two prostitutes in a house. Okay. They have a baby. I I don't know. They have babies. Uh, I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. A lot of detail. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And she's laying out this story. Everybody's listening. Everybody's there. Solomon's just kind of nodding. He's listening. And in the morning, when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. And when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it, this isn't my son. This isn't my child. And the other... other um, wait, we skipped some. No, 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 no. We're in the right place. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're good. My bad. I'm trying to pretend I can see and just kind of bluff the entire place. Okay. Then the other woman interrupted. It certainly was your son and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth, back and forth in front of the king. Then the king said, stop it. <laughs> Let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim that the living child is yours. And each one says that the dead one belongs to the other. Right? Okay. Bring me a sword. What is he up to? You know, you can just see the people going, sword? Sword? How, where are you going with that? And he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other. Now you wonder at this point, if everybody knew about the deal with Solomon and with God. Just give me wisdom. Okay, I'm going to give you wisdom. And this is his first big chance. What's he going to do? I don't know. He's full of wisdom. Cut the baby in half. (laughs) Solomon, why don't we try something else? we got some other ideas that the committee's been working on. No, cut that baby in half and give each of them half. Next, what's your problem? You know, I think that's a lot of wisdom. But here's where he was going with that. He said, then the other woman who who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my Lord. Give her the child. Give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, and this was really, this was a brilliant move to open her mouth at this point. I mean, it's a done deal. This could work out. But no. She says, all right. He will, eat, he will, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. What mother? Then the, then the king said, do not kill the child. Give him to the woman who wants him to live. She's the mother. She's the mother. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw wisdom. They could see it firsthand, played out in front of them. So this is the wisdom that, that God has given him in rendering justice. Who would have thought of that solution? That's not in the king manual. You know, that wasn't in the training. Okay, when, when somebody comes to you with a baby, here's what you got to do. Cut the baby in half. Threaten to cut the baby in half. No, no. And everybody's taking notes going, what'd you get for number three? Cut the baby? No, no. I, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get not I missed that one, you know. But that's, this is beyond brilliancy. It's this amazing solution uh, that he applies to the situation. And this, this was the beginning of his story, the beginning of his reputation. People began to talk. Yeah, David was all that. Yeah, he was an athlete and a statesman and a warrior and a musician and an artist and he was a nice guy and he was good looking and he was. A... But do you hear what Solomon did? Do you hear about that thing with the babies? That guy's smart. That guy's wise. Now, there's one thing about Solomon. Uh, that I find interesting, or that I like about him, and he seems to be always just brutally honest. You know, and maybe it's the wisdom thing, but he just doesn't play a lot of games. He doesn't go along with. Uh, you know, he's the guy who always asks the questions that you think uh, you're not supposed to ask. That he doesn't just go in sync and just in flow. Nobody else asks. Nobody else speaks up. So I'm going go. I don't understand. How come? You know, he he was that that guy. He looks past all the cliches, all the pat, easy answers and situations that everybody had memorized. You know, Solomon was not the kid in Sunday school who you know the teacher would say. And so, who was in the boat with the disciples? Jesus, yes. Snake, no. You know, he, you know the hands that go. You know, and, and Solomon would sit there and think. Well, if Jesus was in the boat, then how come and where if he's eternal I mean he's, he's that kid that you just go, Would you like another cookie? Would you because I don't I don't know how to answer. The opening words in, in the book that, that he had written kind of kind of shows that, kind of, kind of gives an indication of, of his heart. Um, and there is this assessment of the human condition. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter one. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea's never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. I get so tired, he says. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're never content. History merely repeats itself. Over and over and over. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, hey, here's something new. But actually, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. And listen to how he wraps up his kind of summation of, of humanity. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one's going to remember what we're doing now. So, what does it matter? That's kind of where he landed. Sort of a, yeah, been there, done that. Got the t shirt. Not my first rodeo. It's no big deal. It's kind of that whatever attitude that Solomon had. He's the king of Israel. And the thing is, he kind of knew a little bit about what he was talking about because he could have anything he wanted. He's got, I mean, all the resources. Everything is right there for him. He could go anywhere he wanted to go. He could own anything he wanted to own. He could uh, you know have anything, he could do whatever he wanted to do. I want to do this. Well, no one's allowed to do that. Excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry, except you, because you are king and you can just kind of do whatever you want to do. So he's king, and this is his introduction this is after he's done it all. He comes back and he says, You know what I figured out? Everything's meaningless. Nothing really matters. King of Israel. Now, the the intro to my Bible, the one I read to you a moment ago, that was the little opening statement. This is the outline of Ecclesiastes that that it gives. Um, I won't read the verse, you know, the sections, but this is how it breaks it down. The pointless cycle of life, the futility of life, weariness, oppression, and inhumanity, the futility of popularity, religiosity, and wealth. The futility of life, again. And then the conclusion: fear God and obey His commandments. Have a nice day. You like my book? Did you read Ecclesiastes? How you like that? That's that's kind of the outline of of, of what he had written. Sometimes he just writes things, and I think, why did you why did you say that? And other times I think, oh, maybe you were getting it. And and to try to kind of understand this, uh, you know, read different theological perspectives and commentaries and books on that, even listen to some other messages that kind of revolve around this idea and and about this guy, Uh, just trying to kind of figure it out. One of the the commentaries that's most popular, I guess, for uh, theologians, maybe amateur theologians like myself, um, is Colin Dalich. It's an old German commentary, real solid. Uh, You're probably familiar with it if you're a teacher at, at all. Uh, it makes this statement that what Solomon wrote here in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, that a New Testament believer would never be able to write any of that. said, so a New Testament believer can't write that because you'd be sinning against what you know is true. said, so you know better than that. You know Jesus, and you know that life's not meaningless. You can't write what Solomon wrote. If you know Christ, you'll know... Wow, I can't, I can't, I couldn't do that. In spite of that, I know that for many here, your life has lost its meaning. You've kind of lost your way. And if you were really, really honest with yourself and really, really honest with the Lord, you'd say... You know, some of that that Solomon wrote, yeah. Because there's times when you feel like he felt. There's this struggle in your soul. There's this battle with reality. And the truth is that some who are here, maybe you're wondering, God, are you really there? And if you are really there, do you really, really care about me? Or am I just pretending to know that you care about me because that's the right answer? And all my friends would be shocked if I even dared to to doubt that or to cross those kind of lines and to ask big questions. There's a few things that Solomon kind of brings out that he writes about that that seem important um, to understand his worldview and maybe to kind of figure out where you are. I'd like to just kind of bump through a couple of those ideas. One of those is, is pretty obvious when you step back and look at the big picture. Twenty-nine times in this book, 29 times he uses this phrase, under the sun. There's nothing new. Under the sun. Under the sun. And even though his journey has kind of begun with getting this instant wisdom and he's acquired that, God just downloaded that in, into his heart, into his brain, And you think he kind of understands but he misses some of the most obvious parts of what's really going on. But I think there's one part of that that's kind of true, and that's this. If your life is summed up, you know, if your existence and everything that you're about is defined by um, there's nothing new under the sun, whatever's going on under the sun, if it's just limited to this experience and this planet, this earth, you know what, you're going to walk away thinking, He's right. It's meaningless because this is not all there is. But if you've kind of if, if you've gone with that idea and think this is it, this is the big deal. I don't get it. What's I don't I'm not having fun. I'm not. I, I've I've been there. I've done that. I bought this. And I, I know them. And it's not what I thought it was going to be. Isn't that true for a lot of your experiences that you thought, oh, if I can just get here. Ah, oh, that didn't give me the buzz I thought it was going to be. If I can just be a part of that, if I can get that, if I can buy that, you know. And then you have it, and after a little while you think, hmm, I'm a little disappointed. It didn't quite live up to the expectations that I had for it. I think Solomon's right about that part. I think that that he nailed, and that'll become your perspective. Another thing that kind of stands out in, in this book is that that Solomon mentions God 41 times. But the curious thing about that is that every time he, he always only uses the name Elohim. Now, Elohim is kind of a couple of little words put together, but uh, he, he never says the word, for instance, Yahweh, he never says Jehovah. And the reason I point that out, why that's kind of a big deal to me, is that the name of God, as when he says Elohim, is to identify God as sort of generic God, just God. That's God. Maybe God is creator. But, but it, it kind of gives this feeling of God at a distance, you know, the label, God. And that's the title that he always uses. But the language... That his father used, for instance, Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jehovah guides me. It's, it's more personal. It, it's more intimate. It's kind of like the Lord, our God, not just the God. That's, it's a shift. It, it, and, and there's a reason why you had different ways of, of addressing him. Yahweh, And it it means that God's present. He's intimate. He is involved in my life. He's concerned with me. You know, sometimes I find myself in conversation with people and, and somebody said, well, I think God, you know, and you can just tell there's this generic God. I was standing in a line and there were several lines. It was one of those lines that, you know, snake back and forth like at the theater or the airport. You know where you see the same people over. Oh, you pass them. Hey, me again. You know, and then you a little while later. Hi, how are you? How's that line working? You know, and but I heard these two, and they're in conversation together. And I'm not eavesdropping, but they kind of. But I heard one of the ladies say to the other lady, "Well, you know the Lord." <laughs> and a little while later, I heard one say, "Well, you know the Lord," and immediately something clicks. You know, something kind of wakes up in me because I'm that language I'm used to. That's my language. That's our language. They weren't just saying, well, God. They're saying, well, the Lord. I thought, who else says the Lord except Christians? Except other people who know him. They don't call him that. And that's the difference. And that's kind of what I see what's happening here with Solomon. I believe he echoes what a lot of people I hear say and, and think. We believe in God, that they believe, yeah, I think there's a God a God out there, but I don't think he's really for me. I don't think he cares or interested in my relationship. I'm not in, I'm not in, in doing life with him. There are people here who believe in God as Elohim, but he's distant. He's cold. He's detached and un, uninvolved on a daily basis. And there are others I know in this room because I've known some of you for quite a while. You're experiencing God in a different way. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He's our Lord. He's not just a Lord. He's he's my Lord. If that's not true, then how did he get so distant? And how did Solomon take get so... When his father was so passionate and spoken in in such uh, personal terms, Solomon seems to have forgotten uh, that first part of Genesis, those first couple of chapters. For some reason, he never goes back that far. When Solomon talks about the past, he goes back in Genesis to about the third and fourth chapter. He goes back to the beginning, but not to the beginning of the beginning. You know, it's kind of like he doesn't push through. He just stays at a certain place. You know, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and everything is created, and you see this tumbling. I don't know what your view is about this. You know, personally, I think it all happened pretty fast. Let there be light. You know, let there be darkness, let there be earth, let there be sky, let there be water, let there be animals, let there be, you know, and he's just boom, 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 plants, boom, pow, pow, you know, and all these things. And it's just, it's unprecedented, you know, this, this creative act of beauty and of an artistry that's never, and God says, finally, let there be humans, let me make man in my own image. And he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Solomon's kind of forgotten that part. You know, every time he goes back, every time he refers to the past, he kind of picks up in chapter 3. You know, you remember that. And And he seems to mention that if you go through his book and you read this for yourself, you'll see that Solomon doesn't seem to remember the first part. But he goes back again and again and again to the place where our relationship was severed. where where things fell apart. Everything was ruined and spoiled, and and the garden began to disintegrate into chaos. And he forgets the part where God says, you're made like me, and I'll walk with you, and I'll talk with you. Now, he only remembers uh, the part that says, you're dust, you're made out of dirt, and you go back to dirt. And there's a big difference. It's it's, it's interesting to me that this word that's translated, that, that we've read, you know, that you see pop up again and again and again. Your version may say, my version says meaningless. Your version may say vanity. All is vanity, or all is a breath, all is a vapor. And all of those kind of kind of revolve around the same idea. This little word shows up 72 times in the Bible, and 37 out of those times, it's right here in this book it's actually the Hebrew word for the name Abel. So instead of going all the way back to Adam, who was created and had this walking, talking relationship with God and then things went south, Solomon only goes back to Abel, who experienced violence and was killed by his brother Cain. It's like Solomon just has to emphasize how fragile we are and how quick life happens and just how fleeting everything is. 37 times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, Life is meaningless. Life is able. You're just like Abel. You're going to get killed. You're going to die. Pass the salt. I mean, he just, that's kind of where he is. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself there where you feel like, you know, to be honest with you, that's as far back as I can go. There are days you feel like I'm just working, I'm working, I'm working. And at the end of it, you you feel like you're more behind than when you started. You know, and you, and, you work, and you just bang in your head and there come these these moments in life. There's these defining moments in life where you say, why are we doing this? I don't get it. I do why am I even, I don't even, you know, you just feel so frustrated because you feel like, ehh, ehh, ehh. you know, here we are again. And you're sitting in traffic and you're thinking, why am I even going to work? You know, you're sitting in class going, what is this for? Does this matter? Does this course even mean anything? I think we've all felt, like that that it's just mundane in this meaningless cycle that's the conclusion that solomon had come to listen to his work you know, in verse 8 he said it's all just air it's all just a vapor it's all just able that's all it is it's just redundant we're just doing the same stuff our parents did and their parents did and it doesn't really matter and his conclusion that that's what it is, you know, to, to be in the human condition. In verse 9 and 10, he talks about this weariness. There's nothing new under the sun. And we're all trapped in this tragedy. And we are just got to make it through as best we can. You know, you know that kind of idea. Does it matter? Does anything matter? I think we're at a crossroad. And for some of you, I think that's very specific and very personal this morning. If Solomon is right... And our meaning in life is just going back that far. And it's just this separation and then death and, you know, we don't see the creation and we don't see life. We don't see the purpose. Then he's right. He says, what for? It's all meaningless. It's just a vapor. His conclusion that there's nothing new. And then he challenges his readers. He challenges the listeners. He goes, you got anything new? Tell me, you got something new? You you want what? What's new? What's new? You know, and everybody's kind of thinking, well, you know, and it's kind of, like, and you know, wherever I've been across the world, like I'm this world traveler, whatever churches I've been in, and believers that I talk to, even even good Christians, we buy into this idea of Solomon's. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. I've heard that said my entire life. There's nothing new under... Well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Like Solomon said, nothing new under the sun. You know what's happened? We have embraced that. We've believed it and embraced it and we repeat it. And for 3,000 years, you know, this statement has kind of morphed itself into not just our language, but into our hearts and our philosophies. And Solomon, this this little saying of his, nothing new under the sun has been repeated, and I think it's just become one of the most influential ideas that there's ever been, especially, remarkably, among people of faith. And here's what I think. I think he missed it. I know you think, okay, on this side we've got Dan. We know Dan. And here we have Solomon, wisest man in the world. Solomon says, nothing matters, nothing new under the sun. Dan says, Solomon's wrong. And and I feel presumptuous. I feel like you're going to say, hey, kid, off the platform. You know, let's just go eat lunch. Who are you? How the audacity of that. But I really believe he's just, just he didn't have it. When somebody says everything's meaningless, and then he asks, can you, can you point out anything that's new under the sun? I think my answer would have to be, uh, you know, actually, yes. Yeah, I can. And I really believe that, that, that life is not meant to be redundant. It was full of discovery and growth and adventure. You're not made to, to, be, to be born and to move into isolation, not intimacy. You are not a hamster on a wheel in a cage called earth. Here's why I say that. And I think this is why you came and this is why I'm here. God says, in Isaiah 43:19, for instance, he says, put away former things because I am doing a new thing. Hey, Solomon, God's doing a new thing. You want to come see the new thing? God said he's, he's doing this new thing over here. Would you like to maybe take a look at this? He said, wouldn't you be aware of that? And I think God's doing a new thing, but Solomon doesn't get it. He's not aware of it. What about you? Are you aware of it? In Jeremiah 31, 32 and 33, this is this great little scripture. God says, You know what? I'm going to give you a new covenant. Not like the old covenant. That's why your Bible is divided into Old Testament and New Testament. Because he said, Here's the old covenant. You know what? I'm going to give you a new one. And it's going to be different than that old one. It's it's a brand new covenant that I'm going to do, not like the old thing. In Ezekiel 36 26, he said, Out of this new covenant, I'm going to give you a new heart, I'm going to give you a new spirit. And there are actually two words for new. One is new, like you fix it up, and you repair it, and you shine it, and you think, look at that, just like new. That's not this word. That's not, it's not like new of the same kind. New, but it's really, you know, like cereal boxes? New and improved. How do you new and improve Cheerios? What do you do? Tastes a lot like the old unimproved Cheerios to me. You know, and and we're kind of used to people saying, this is new. And you get there, and you think, I don't think it's new. This word doesn't mean that. It means new of a different kind. Brand new. You hadn't seen this before. God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. It's not going to be like your old heart. Then Jesus comes along in John 13, 34 and says, let's match up that new heart with some new activity. I'm going to give you a new commandment. So I'm going to give you a brand new way of living. We're not going to live like in the Old Testament. We're not going to do that anymore. You've got to have something that fits this new you. And then Paul comes back and he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, In Christ, you're a new creation. Hey, Solomon, I'm not the same guy anymore. I'm a new man. I'm a new creation. I had a grandmother, great-grandmother, actually. uh, We called her Ma Willie, um... We're West Tennessee, and we—that's what we call her. But she lived to be 101 years old. Almost everybody in my family died young. She lived, and we wanted to video her with my kids because it's a lot of generations. And we thought, how, how often does you know you see that happen? And and she was still very clear. But we would ask her questions like, "Hey, Ma Willie, what do you think about you know those guys going to the moon?" "Honey, that never happened. They didn't. Man can't go to the moon. She just couldn't." And we'd say. What do you think about the internet? The what? I have a hairnet. I have a. Do you have Wouldn't you like a computer so you could do email, honey? I have mail. I get that. I don't need a computer to get mail. I mean, she just—it was just hard for her to, to grasp me those things. And some of the children bought her some newer conveniences and some appliances. You know what she would do? She would always gravitate. She would always kind of get back to the old way of doing that. She just—she didn't let go. She, it was hard for her to embrace and to see something new, even though it was there. And I feel that way about—to be honest with you, some of you. God wants to do a new thing. He wants to give you a new heart and a new life. There's a new covenant. No, that's good. Thank you, honey. But you know what? I'm just going to stick to the old ways. No. Hey, Solomon. (laughs) How about a virgin giving birth to a child? That's kind of a new thing. We didn't see a lot of that. How about. God Himself coming down in the form of a human, dying on a cross for our sins, and then being raised to live in a new life, being resurrected. That's a new idea. Nobody saw that coming. See, God does new things. But if you're not careful, you're going to buy into that old, worn out idea. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Life's just an endless cycle and it's meaningless. It's wrong. Some of you are sitting here and you think, I hate my life. I hate my life. I just hate my life. And you were saying, I hate my life a year ago. But from that time until this time, what have you done to change it? Nothing. I hate my life, but I think I'm going to get up today and do the same thing I did yesterday and maybe hope that miraculously somehow my life will change because we're scared of actually stepping out sometimes with the Lord. And I don't think tomorrow, I hope you don't tomorrow go out and get a new haircut and you go home, your wife says, what have you done? It's new, baby. I didn't want to do this for a year. I hated my hair, you know, and, and all new clothes and you buy a new car. I hated that car. I bought this car. I like it. <laughs> you know, and I, so don't take this as a license or permission just to go, eh. but you know what? If you hate your life <laughs> and you just keep getting up every day and looking in the mirror going, I hate my life, I hate my life. You're going to be back here a year from now saying, you know, I still hate my life, but I'm scared of doing anything about it. I'm scared of changing because there's really, you know, at the end of the day, there's really nothing new under the sun after all. And that's the system that we operate under. He was wrong. You know who was right? Thomas Chisholm was right. Thomas Chisholm said, morning by morning, new mercies. I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. He knew, God, when I get up tomorrow, yesterday's old mercies aren't going to be good enough. They're not going to be fresh enough. I need new mercies. You give me new mercies for this day. God wants to do that. Jesus wants to give you a new life. Here's what it's going to take. And we're done. You've got to refuse to believe that there's nothing new under the sun. You've got to reject that as a lie for your life. The enemy wants to keep telling you so that you'll stay in bondage to him. The truth is, God's doing a new thing. And he has new dreams. And he has new hope. There's a new future for you. It's a new creation. It's a new life in Christ. Our enemy desperately doesn't want you to know that and to believe that and to embrace it and to live it. But I tell you with all my heart, it's true. There is something new under the sun. God's waiting for you to step into it. Let's finish. Would you stand, please? I say, let's finish. Maybe let's just get started. Let's begin. Living what the Bible tells us is true. Would you bow your heads with me, please? You know, it may be that you're just, you're tired. You're like Solomon. You're like, you know what? I've been doing this. It just seems meaningless. I don't get it. Today can be a day that you find out there's something new under the sun for you. I think Solomon eventually figured it out. And at the end of things, he said, You know what? It's better to obey God and to live in Him. And his wisdom was applied to his own life in a fresh new way. You may be in middle school and you think, You know what? I pretty much know everything, I've kind of got my act together. Or you may be here as a retiree and you think, son, I have lived two lifetimes of yours. I pretty much don't need. But you know what? That accumulated wisdom can be, can be wasted and lie dormant in your heart and your mind and your life. Unless you apply it on a daily basis. Would you open up your spirit, your soul today and say, God, I, I need wisdom. I want to believe truth. I want to live it. I want to see you do new things all throughout my life. The first new thing you might need to do if you've never done this before is to trust Jesus to save you. Give you a brand new life. Make you something new. Maybe you've crossed that line, but you've heard those whispers and you've heard that idea. Nothing new under the sun so long you've started believing it. And today, you need to break away. You need to be set free and live the new life that Jesus died so that you could live. We have counselors, we have pastors, we have people who just pray with you. If you need assistance in taking that next step, do the next wisest thing. Begin now. Father, we... Thank you for the time we've had together today. What an awesome worship experience. And Lord, just your teaching. Father, we need a teacher. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us. And we thank you for Solomon. And we thank you for the things he wrote. So, so many nuggets of truth in Ecclesiastes. So many places where we see you move and work in his life. Father, we pray that you would do something amazing. Maybe even go so far as to say miraculous today. In us and through us. Bring the new, fresh, vibrant life that's in Christ to us now. Give us the courage to embrace it, to step forward with you in faith to your glory. In Jesus' name.